I guarantee this episode will be the most popular episode to date. Mr. Jack, what are we talking now that that now that the hype train uh, has happened at, in the intro of this episode? What are we talking about today? So in this episode, we're going to cover how to make one million dollars. We're going to talk about uh, various wealth generation techniques, um, assets, everything like that. We're going to go into the process of life, how that ties into uh, financial progression and all sorts of things. Because as I discussed with you earlier, I think we're in a position to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, given the experiences we have. So that's what you're going to get from this episode today, listeners. So I've set up my drop shipping account so I can start making millions of dollars as a drop shipper. Now what do I do? So now you need to buy my course. Uh, it's $599 and it will teach you all of this. Yes. All right. Where, where do you want to start with this? Well, I mean, the first thing you do when you get an episode like this is why are we qualified to even talk about this? Um, won't spend too long on this, but you've done millions of dollars in courses. So this is kind of me poking at you a little bit here. You've been there and done it and got the t-shirt, um, a lot of experience there. I think looking at Fathom, we don't talk about numbers, but Fathom's Fathom. Um, and then for me personally, I've done six figures for however long and high six figures um, from my consulting and I've obviously had success with my course as well, which, yeah, which is which has done really well considering it was my first course. Uh, quite a bit of credit to you and Adam for that. So that's why I consider us in a position. I think you more so than me by quite a long stretch. So I do anticipate that I'll be poking um, poking you a little bit with questions, and yeah, really going into what kind of things you can do. So I like it. Yeah, I've I've got an agenda. I I really am keen to dive straight into it. If that's cool with you. Yeah, let's do it. So as a kid, we get the, the pocket money, the allowance, and we're not really that aware of assets or um, earning money. You know, our parents give us money. That's all we understand. Um, they tell us to save money, so they might say, oh, you should save some money. But we don't typically understand why. Some of us might save money, but we definitely don't always understand why. So we spend it. And then we get into the, the part of our lives where we're wanting to have some money to spend, go out with friends, buy some nice things. Um, in your teenage years, what was your relationship with money like? How did you make money? Um, I, well, I started working basically as soon as I could. I had a paper route um, and I delivered papers and free samples. Um, then I got a job, I think as soon as I was legally allowed to in Canada, um, to get like actual employment, I got a part-time job. So I've been working since I could work. And I think I did, I think I did get an allowance, uh, from my parents, but that was in the eighties. So it was maybe like $5 or something like that. And I guess in the eighties, $5 could buy more than it could, yeah. <laughs> more than it could now. But yeah, so I've all, and I don't really... Actually, no, I bought, uh, I think when I was like 15 or such a nerd, when I was 15 or 16, I bought like a, I think it was like a government savings bond with money I had saved up that I could cash in five years later at like two or 3% interest. Amazing. 
But that got me interested in investing and and, and building wealth. So I definitely didn't save a ton of money when I was a kid. I didn't make a ton of money when I was a kid. But um, yeah, that was definitely something I thought about possibly more than than some other people because I don't think that many 15 or 16-year-olds are buying government savings bonds. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, probably buying alcohol or 15, 16, eh, probably. Depends where, yeah, you're, alcohol. where you're from. <laughs> okay, so you had a bit of a head start there, um, either through you know experiences, that kind of thing. Um, obviously, you didn't save your way to make a million dollars. You didn't get compound interest on your, your paper round. Um, so you moved on to getting your first job, which is obviously where you earn some money. So first job, what was your first job? Um, I think it was, yeah, it was uh, at a veterinary clinic, um, cleaning shit and piss and taking care of animals and taking them Quite for a glamorous job. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, all my friends worked in fast food and they were all jealous that I got to work with animals all day, but it was cleaning up i guess probably at mcdonald's you have to clean up shit and piss as well you're <laughs> like such a marketer that, that probably happens too but yeah, yeah it was a lot there, you there worked, was a lot you worked with piss and shit of animals but marketing term is i got to work with animals which is yeah, exactly it's all about positioning man uh-huh yeah okay so you took the job i mean you would have been what 16 17 18 some yeah low teens somewhere in there okay so you're probably making, I don't know, it's Canadian dollars, so this is Monopoly money. I it's guess probably like 10 bucks an hour, maybe. 10 bucks an hour. Okay, so what are you thinking about wealth? What are you thinking about the progression of your income at that point? Uh, at that point, I wanted to save up for tuition for uh, post-secondary school. I wanted to pay for um, university, basically. Okay, so you had a goal in sight, and it wasn't necessarily a financial goal. It was to um, improve your skill set in order to increase your income. Was that the, the thought process? Yeah, I mean, I did well in school, so everybody said, "Well, you should go to university, get a degree, because that's how you that's how you get those high paying jobs, bro." Um, so that's what I thought I had to do. So the the plan was to go to university, get a comp sci degree, and um, yeah, find find a job somewhere and, and make that mad bank. Okay, man, at risk of putting off the, the, the part where we talk about the generating the millions of dollars, I am curious to know why did you even want to make more money than $10 an hour? Um, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't really think, so I didn't really think about generating wealth back then or what enough was or any of that. I just saw that growing up, my parents definitely, like we weren't poor by any means, but we weren't rich either. We were kind of in that middle ground where if we wanted something we had to save up for it or if we wanted something we wouldn't get the best of it like we wouldn't get the dyson vacuum we would get the like blyson <laughs> that's not even oh, the old blyson yes, yes. <laughs> yeah the old blyson it really sucks um so we <sighs> it feels like an episode of mad men now um <laughs> so yeah like we weren't we definitely weren't well off but we weren't poor we were yeah and so i want but i did see times when my parents struggled a little bit and i was just mm-hmm. like okay well i don't want that like i don't want to have to think about i want to have so much money that i don't have to think about it i didn't i didn't know what so much money was it was just if i don't have to think about it if i don't my parents were hardcore with budgeting oh yeah like we yeah. they would take out the amount of cash they needed each week <laughs> for groceries and everything yeah. else and that would be the total like you couldn't go over that and i was like i don't want to live like this 
So, so it wasn't the fact that they were, I guess, frugal with the money. It was, it was probably the struggle, seeing them struggle, that would have given you an emotional connection to that. And I say that as someone who grew up in a similar way. Again, weren't poor, um, but you know, there was definitely a, a, a budget book with green pen. Yeah, uh, so, and there was lean times and not lean times. Well, and yeah, and seeing parents lose jobs and things like that. So you do as a kid, I mean, you, can, you can't not have an emotional connection to seeing your parents struggle. Some people go through life and they never see it when it comes to money. You see your parents struggle, that will happen at some point. How are they saying that? Some, some people don't. Some, some people's parents keep them completely sheltered from it, you know, and they don't see the struggle. Now, this does bring on the question, though, if you didn't grow up um, in a similar way to, like, to us, or, or even in poverty, do you even build a desire for making a higher income? Um, I don't know. Maybe to keep on, like if you come from that, maybe to keep on that, to give that experience to your kids, maybe. I don't know. I've, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know anybody who is like multi-generational wealthy. I can't, well, think, I, mean, I can't without, think of anybody. Without getting old money. And that's one of the yeah. things, when we, ever, we talk about millions of dollars or millionaires, um, think about old money and new money. I don't, the problem in the world isn't new money and millionaires. The problem's old money. And this is where, um, you know, I know this doesn't necessarily align with what I think in general, but I do like the estate tax. Um, <laughs> and I, I argue with my wife about this, but because it isn't, it isn't in line with my other economical opinions. But I think, I think old money is bad. But at the same time, I acknowledge the opinion of that person earned it. Why shouldn't their kids spend it? It's a very tricky uh, thing to balance because you know, old money is you didn't earn that money. Why should your kids? Well, but then why should I decide? As you can tell, I I struggle with this quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't because I have no kids. I'm never going to have any kids. Um, yeah. I didn't I didn't come from old money. It's not something I've ever thought about because it applies in zero to to my life circumstances. No, for sure, for sure. It's uh, I think people that have that old money want to protect it, and people that don't have it want to tax it. Typically, yeah. I mean, you you would want to protect something that you feel. No, for your kids, no, and I totally, I totally get that. (laughs) I'm very mixed on it, and I haven't formed an opinion. Even you know, with my own kid, I haven't decided. But okay, fine. So continuing a lifestyle that that thing makes sense. So that's the desire level. Obviously, there's more nuance to this uh, with regards to the desire for a higher paying income. So you moved away from um, cleaning up piss and shit, the dream job. You moved to university. And the the assumption was you were going to get through university and you were going to earn more money. How did that go? Yeah, so I guess I will caveat it with the fact that I think my tuition for university for, per semester was under $5,000. So it was it was attainable for me to earn enough money previously and during university to pay for school. I know there's some people, like university tuitions now is, is ridiculous. It's, sometimes it's like high five six figures for tuition that's Mm -hmm. that seems like a recipe for lots of debt and so i was lucky that i went to school at a time when i remember getting the bill for my tuition from the university i went to and i was like fuck that's a lot of money but like it was money that was doable based on money i'd saved and money that i was making so even in university i worked as um i worked i did tech support 
Okay. Um, so I could make money to keep going to university. Um, but it, like I said, it was, it was something that was attainable for me where I could work and save up a couple grand for tuition. Nowadays, in a lot of places, that isn't possible. And that really bugs me about school, how, um, how high tuition is. Uh, that's that's so, good. University yeah. will soon university will soon completely change and we will lose these models where universities are charging disgusting amounts of money to people. Because it's a two-way yeah. thing, right? A, the university's prices shouldn't be so high and B, people shouldn't take on debt to go there. But they're sold this narrative. The narrative is sold. Um, yeah. I appreciate some jobs you have to go to university. Um, but it's, you know, people get told to take these paths and then they're finding themselves with this ridiculous amount of debt. So yeah. we're going to see innovation in the ed- we already are seeing innovation in the education sector. Now, Lambda School, what I, we will get to the the earnings of the millions <laughs> of dollars eventually. Tell me about Lambda School. What do you think of this? So they take it's like future earnings sharing arrangement or something where they will take a percentage of your future income, but you have no debt to learn the skills. Yeah, I mean, I did see that there, I don't know enough about it to comment on it, but I did see that there was some huff-huff about, um, some what? about not getting, so there was some controversy around um, those types of schools about them not okay. providing the, the quality of education they were advertising. And then they still get the, and they still get the percentage, right? I think so. Yeah. Oh. So I don't really know enough about that to say because it's not something I've ever looked into. And so I also find it hard because I get a lot of time. I get questions a lot of times like, oh, I, I want to get into design or marketing. Like what school should I do? What course should I? And it's like, I don't know. I did all of those things so long ago and I don't keep up with what people getting into the industry now have to do or what makes the most sense. So Honestly, I don't have an answer for that. I have absolutely no idea. Well, I think we can get an answer out of you. Well, how important was your university to your um, your skills nowadays? Yeah, I mean, I dropped out to work. <laughs> that answers your question. That, yeah, exactly. I didn't, but I think that it was at a time, another caveat is it was at a time when the internet was just starting, like this was the mid 90s. So the fact that I knew how to make a website on my own without going to school Uh, was all that I needed. At this Mm. point, if you want to, I don't know, because I don't know anything about HR or hiring. So I don't know what these people are looking for now. So all I can say is what I know based on like 20, 30 years ago. (laughs) Well, no, let's formulate an answer here. Because I I mean, I did this, 2013 was my first job. I had no qualifications. Um, I didn't, school didn't interest me. I built things in my spare time. And those things that I built were viewable, were usable. Yeah. Uh, when someone asks about my university, I never actually got asked about my university. I do vividly remember it. They were actually intrigued by what I'd built. So the university qualifications, and again, I'm not talking about things like biology, becoming a doctor, that kind of thing. I am, we are specifically talking about tech here. <laughs> I Our went to Lambda <laughs> school to be a surgeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's, let's be clear here. We're not talking about things like that, but they don't care about what your qualifications say you can do. It's, it's about what you can do. And that's why you'll often see university degree or X years experience. Now, if you're going to a company where they're incredibly rigid on this, I say, fuck them. You know, f- find someone who isn't rigid on it. And there are plenty of people who aren't and get some experience there. And then guess what? If you still can't get a job, build something. 
build anything, get feedback. It doesn't even matter if there are a thousand competitors. Just to have it in your portfolio and say, I built this because I wanted to teach myself X, Y, Z. That's enough. Yeah. That's honestly enough to get a foot in the door. It doesn't need to be spend £40,000 getting an IT degree so you can become a programmer. Maybe yeah, for Google, I mean, but who wants to step straight into Google? I wouldn't. No. Well, no I mean, I think that. that's a good point about working in public, though. I think like if you're, if you're figuring things out in public, if you're making things in public, then you're building your portfolio. Even if you're not working for somebody else, you're building your portfolio... Um, to, to show others if you're making things in public. It doesn't have to be software either, right? It could be 100%. design, it could be photography, it could be whatever. That was my flex. I had an image upload site and I said, oh yeah, no, Nicki Minaj uses it on her MySpace. And everyone knew what MySpace was and Nicki Minaj was, I think, she wasn't as big as she was now, but she was up, up and coming. Funnily enough, I actually thought she was a porn star when I first saw that they were using it. I thought, oh, this must be a porn star. It was, I don't know enough about Nicki Minaj to comment on that. I don't think she was a porn star. <laughs> I have uh, no idea. But yeah. I so same thing for me except not Nicki Minaj. I built a website that became ridiculously popular that led to my first job. Okay. Yeah. And it so, was working in public. It was just making things. They didn't they could see that I knew what to do, what I what I said I could do by looking at the things that I made. And that's what it comes down to in tech a lot of the time. Um, it's not a regulated sector. We're not talking about medicine. It's about what you can do. So yeah, that's a good way of getting into the into the job uh, without doing university. So you moved into your design work. Did you work at a full time job after university? Yeah, I I was created. I guess I was graphic designer, then creative director at an agency in Toronto. Okay, and what's the story there? Uh, I liked the work. I hated the company. And so what? I was going to go get, I was going to go get, get another job. Okay. My boss would blast three doors down all day, every day. The same fucking song. What song was it? I think. Na, na, I like na, to Superman. move it, move it. Oh, no. Eminem? Superman. I, I don't, I don't even Superman. remember the song. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I just and I didn't like the way that they were working with clients, and I was like, I'll just get a job at another agency. So I quit, and I was gonna get another job, but then my phone started ringing, and the clients were like, Hey, we liked working with you more than that company. Mm-hmm. Where are you going next? And we'll take our business there. And then I was like, Well, I guess I could just work for myself and get to keep all of your money, but also more importantly, get to um work on the relationship that i think a freelancer and a client should have or an agency and a client should have um that is sustainable where they want to come back and give you more money because you did the work you said you were going to do and you did it well okay okay Paul. so then so you increased your income obviously increased Um, not initially not initially okay so you started the path to increase your income how long was it before you increased your income with your with your new um personal um probably a couple years i mean i from the start i started with a a client roster like i started with people who were ready to pay me on day one okay so i didn't have i was i wasn't making a ton of money but i was making enough money to keep going on it right like i was making enough money that proved that it was worth that it was a worthwhile endeavor why did these people follow you because they liked your work right um, they liked my work, but they also liked um, my reputation. Or if I told them what something you, was going to get done, it was get right. done. So you provided, a good, 
you provided a good quality of work to these people. Yes. Yep. So you established demand for your skill set by having a good quality of work overall. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. It's establishing yourself in the marketplace. You then create this demand. They wanted to work with your good reputation, quality skill set. That makes complete sense to me. That can all be done without a degree and, and without everything else. You just have to hone your skill set. So a few years in, you started making more than you made when you were full-time employed. Um, you know, you're making good money. I'm, I'm going to guess sit nice and six figures um, doing it for yourself. What was the what was the next thing? I mean, why did you even seek out the next thing? Was it money related? Was it just interest related? It was interest related. I'd been doing uh, web design for clients for 14 or 15 years, somewhere in there. I'm bad with the amount of years that I do things for, but I was just bored. I was, I, I like to solve problems. And I felt like even though every client I worked with was different, I was still solving the same problem for them. Right. And so I figured that products would be the next um, logical step, not because I thought I could make a ton of money doing them or anything else. It was just like, I feel like I've already figured out this freelancing thing as much as somebody can. I want a new challenge. Okay, fine. So you moved on to products and we're talking courses and SaaS straight away. Are we talking Book. courses first? Or? Uh, books and books and courses. Of course you did books before your company of one. Okay. Yes. Well, I mean, and we don't have to talk exact figures if you don't want to go there, but how much money would you have made off of your books? The early um, ones? The early ones, pro- I think I made about fifth, uh, 12 to 15K off of the first one. Well, for your first book? 12, yeah, twenty or thirty. Yeah, twenty or thirty k <laughs> off of nice. the next couple, and then probably hundred, hundred and twenty k off of the the one before. You company of one, yeah. And these were all self published, and they all didn't sell for like three or four dollars, and they all had extra stuff with them, like bonus content or or that sort of thing. So there was more than just the book. Um, And it was for something super specific, so I could charge like 20, 30 bucks. Okay, so so far we're talking niche. Um, 20 to 30 bucks, you say? Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the non-financial or or non-liquid asset here. When did you start building up your audience? And how big was it when you launched these books? Yeah, I mean, before, I think my mailing list when I was just doing freelancing was in the hundreds. Like I had a mailing list that would just tell people, um, hey, I have a spot in two months um, for a new project. If you want the project, let's talk, get a down payment, um, get it in the calendar. You're kidding. This was for your freelance. So you did marketing for your freelance work via a mailing list. Yeah, because I didn't want to hire people. I didn't want to hire people at a waiting list. And the best way to deal with my mailing list was to send emails about it. Like, hey, I okay. got two spots in a month. I got one spot in three months, that kind of thing. Limited availability too. Yeah. So, you know, and that wasn't even artificial. That was... No, for sure. I only have so much time to work on any given day. I didn't want to hire a bunch of designers to do the work that I like doing. And so that was the way that I figured... <laughs> that's the way that I solved for it. Very interesting. Okay, so book number two, the one that made, I think you said 40, 50, 30, 40? No, I think it was like 20, 30 on the next one and then uh, substantially more on the next one. Okay, so how many people did you... So when you made 20 to, 20 to 30 grand, that's a good amount of cash for a book, right? Um, yeah. Well, you said 100 grand on one of them, you said. 
Yeah, the everything I know was you yeah. made a hundred grand off of that. Yeah, Fuck. it sold a lot of. It sold. It's oh, prob- it's a good book. It just it's I just probably amazed. sold more than Company of One. Actually, it's it. So okay, it sold more than Company of One has sold in English. Company of One is going bonkers <laughs> you have to make in that China right now. Yeah, you'd have to yeah. make that distinction. Okay, cool. So, hundred grand, Paul. What did you do? What uh, trying to get at the audience? So the non non financial asset, the non liquid asset. How many people did you launch that book to? Thousands and thousands. Yeah, probably twenty thousand, twenty five thousand. Like the whole time of doing products, I was building my mailing list. So it started a couple hundred, like I said. It grew to thousands and tens of thousands. And the mailing list, regardless of the product I'm working on, has been consistent for the last eight or nine years. Where every single Sunday, I send out an email, and it doesn't matter what product I'm working on. If I have a new product, then I tell my audience about it. So that has been going since the very start of products for me. And uh, I mean, when you, when you were building your mailing list, what were you thinking about in terms of, were you thinking, I've got to you know, grow this by a certain percentage? Were you just sharing your ideas? Were you thinking about value for the audience? Um, I was always thinking about what, what do they want to hear from me uh, in terms of articles? Because the mailing list is an article-based mailing list. So I was always just kind of listening to them and saying, okay, what are you interested in? And then how I would build the products was I would listen to, I would I'd listen for patterns and what people were asking me. Like creative class came from me getting, I don't know, a dozen emails a week about freelancing, how to set up a freelance business, how to freelance. And so uh, after hundreds of these, I was like, this is probably something I can sell where I do the work once and sell it to as many people as want to buy it. Okay, this is great then. So this actually ties into idea generation because you're using it for article idea generation. Um, so you're talking to people, you're looking at what questions they're asking. Now, there are other ways of actually getting ideas. Now, for example, for my course, I put out an article of something that I did. I put it out on Fathom and I spoke about moving to something called Laravel Vapor. Mm-hmm. I then received so many emails, so many tweets, DMs asking me for interviews, that kind of thing. And the first thing I thought was, I've hit on something here. This is something that's interesting. Um, and it sounds like you do the exact same thing. So you find out what people are interested in, you realize that you can meet that need, and you, you merge the two together. Yeah. I mean, Company of One started with an article I wrote that became the most popular article that I've written. So it wouldn't have been a book if that article wasn't popular. It never would have even been a thought in my mind to, hey, this should be a book if that article wasn't as popular as it was. No, I don't, I don't want to be, um, I don't know if the word's cliche, I don't think the word's cliche. I don't want to be cheesy here or whatever the word is and say, oh, this is an organic way. Because there are plenty of people that will make millions of dollars through you know, Facebook adverts, that kind of thing. We're actually talking about a very kind of, is the word grassroots you know the kind of way we're doing this yeah this isn't some jacked up advertising campaign to generate money everything you do you're building from the ground up you're listening to people and you're providing value to the people that you're listening to pretty much very organic yeah fine okay so the audience has to be the foundation to everything you do and we've spoken about this before the importance of the audience um so you are you are at the same time you're building up a skill set you're becoming very very good at design very good at project management that kind of thing and delivering a good value product and you're also building up people to talk to on the side an audience yes um, 
both of them without the other, one without the other doesn't work. Um, if you just had an audience, but you had no skill set, people would I don't know pissed. how you would build an audience yeah. like that. I guess influencer. <laughs> I Influ- guess. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> but I guess their skill set is connecting with people. So I, I'm, I'm, I take that back. Their skill set is connecting with people regardless of the, the hard skills that they have. Um, and some do it quite well. Like, I don't actually know what a lot of influencers do as far as expertise other than that way that they do um connection with other people and the way that they create compelling content i guess is their skill set and their expertise i just realized that i've I've offended loads of people here i said take off their clothes i was thinking of the the bikini instagram model uh, yeah instagram influencers influencers aren't just those are they there's tons of influencers so i apologize for that comment (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> take off their clothes oh my days okay fine I mean I don't think I would have any followers if I took off my clothes on Instagram but yeah 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 oh my god so talking to the person who's listening to this who's maybe working a job or starting their business at a different stage of the of the journey I'm taking away from interviewing you effectively that you worked on your skills before you even started to build an audience. You didn't say, I want to make some money. I want to launch a course. Let me just focus, focus, focus on the audience. You crafted your skills before even starting it. And then you just kept on crafting your skills. Yeah, I think it's hard. Yeah, I I think it would be hard to to create a product without a skill set. I think that would be, yeah, I think that would be difficult. Unless you had money um, to hire people with skill set to do and certainly people do that right like people have an idea and then they pay other people to build it but that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about building our own um, intellectual assets to to sell very interesting so okay that makes sense i'm just thinking how i would interpret this episode if i'm listening to it however long ago And, and again my personal experience was i spent 10 15 years working on a skill and sharing it now as well listening to this don't just think that coding is the only skill or design is the only skill look for a, something that you understand well and if you don't understand it well then then understand it well you could easily for example you could easily spend the next three years uh, learning a skill and then make a course about it um, the problem comes when you try and make a course about something you're really not an expert at or something that's really saturated so that's courses, man. We've just covered courses. Courses and info products are a great way of generating some income. And no, they're not dead. I just did a course. I, think, <laughs> I, don't, know if, I don't think we're at six figures yet, but uh, we, we, I'm at six figures yet. Um, the royal the co- we. You're British. You're going to pass. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the course has sold hundreds of copies. And this is in 2020. It launched in March. So courses yeah, aren't you, dead. You launched you at the start to- of a pandemic. Oh yeah, very lucky timing. Um, you have to look at what people are interested in and you have to actually have the skill set to, to meet that demand. So we get onto speaking in books. Speaking in books are one thing. Um, with regards to freelancing, how, how does someone go from, say for example, someone's listening and they're making, maybe they're making 50 grand. It's a good, good salary. They're thinking, oh, I'd really like to make six figures. What do, you, what do you see between the person that makes, I guess, the 20 to 50 grand and the person that makes the 100 to maybe 300, $400,000 a year as a freelancer? Uh, in terms of moving to products or in terms of freelance to freelance? Just, just freelance. The- Imagine someone's listening and they're going, I'm not doing a fucking product. Look, I haven't got an audience. What do I do? So if we assume that you have the skill to do the work, um, I think a lot of it comes down to being able to communicate value. 
like being able to explain to somebody why they should pay you $10,000 for a website design versus $500. It all comes down to being able to communicate value and being able to understand. Like, I think I'm, I'm a pretty good designer. I'm not the best designer. I'm not the You're worst okay. designer. I'm okay. But I think the the reason why I was able to to do well in freelancing is because I didn't just I didn't treat uh, design projects as design projects. I treated them as business projects where the outcome was a design. So I would, if I was talking to a new client, I wouldn't ask them about what's your favorite color, what font do you want to use. I would ask them about their business and where their business could do better. And then I would start to think about okay, how can design or code or layout or UX or UI help facilitate that. Right. So I would listen to business problems, try to solve business problems with the design skills that I had. And that is literally the only reason why I could charge in the five figures for stuff other people were charging in the three and four figures for is because I made it a business problem. Business problems typically have a return on investment that can be measured. That's huge. So you actually break out of that commodity comparison, but because they will go to the next designer and they'll talk about the things that aren't even business related. So then it becomes, do we go with the designer who's really good, who understands our business problems, has spoken about our business problems, or do we go with the designer who jumps straight into how many boxes do you want on the homepage? Yeah. It's an easy choice. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, they they want to they want to see the you the the goal is to turn it into an investment instead of an expense. I like it. Okay, yeah. that's very good advice. I mean that that that's very good advice. Yeah. Okay. Um, speaking. Have done any speaking? No, <laughs> but most people I know that get to the higher tiers of their industry. Um, and obviously not during a global pandemic, but there's money to be made in speaking, decent money. Um, and a lot of people who write books or at the, are at the top of their freelancing game can, can make a decent amount of money doing speaking engagements. So it's funny because all these things we're talking about, it comes down to that positioning, doesn't yeah. it? Even yeah. with speaking, you positioned yourself to be a figure of authority or someone of interest. I think of Ryan Holiday, um, after he wrote all of his, those obstacles is the way he yeah. was, everyone wanted him to speak, you know, yeah. um, it was, uh, he actually said it became distracting and, uh, he, I think he's moved away from it, but it's just interesting to see that it's that positioning. And he's yeah. And I mean, all that takes too, right. Is, is to put out something to do work in public. Right. Like people don't see me as an expert on um, small business or entrepreneurship just because I say I am. They see, oh, he wrote a book on that. And I didn't, if I didn't traditionally publish that book, I could have self published it. There could have been absolutely no gatekeepers that led me to put out a book on that subject, which could lead to speaking engagements or that. Same with Ryan. Like he did a bunch of work in public that led people to think, hey, this guy is an expert on this subject. Yeah. And hey, maybe we should pay him however much his speaking fees are <laughs> to, come and, to come and talk. He did a bunch of work. You and him did a bunch of work in public for free. Big distinction. You yeah. can't just ask for money straight away. And again, that's, that's the whole thing with the skill as well. You work, you work, you don't, nah, not work for free for businesses that are going to make money off of your work. That's not what we're saying here. We're not what yeah. I'm saying here. <laughs> we're talking crafting your skills, putting out content, that kind of thing, and getting better and better, building up your, well, building up demand for your work. So yeah. if you put out stuff for free and it's out there, people then just will start following you. If it's good, if they don't follow you, it's not good. 
it takes time yeah. to put out good work. Yeah, and you have to find um, where the people are that would benefit from that work. You can't just put it out, do no work to promote it, and assume that people will find it if it's good. You have to do some legwork, in the, especially in the beginning, to get it to reach the people who could benefit from it. It's funny because some people will go, ah, oh, you're grossly simplifying the process, but you're kind of not. <laughs> you keep doing the work, you keep putting in the hours and doing a bit better every single day. It's impossible not to get there unless you're on some completely, completely irrelevant path. But if you're meeting a demand, you're writing stuff, you're entertaining people, they'll come back for it. There are loads of people yeah. that I follow because of, for, for that reason. Not because they've got a big audience. Um, they got a big audience because they're interesting. Why do you think people with big audiences keep, keep growing? Because they're writing interesting things. Yeah. If you were to delete your audience, everyone, all your followers, all that crap, and write something tomorrow, you would still have the quality that you've been accumulating for your content. Yeah, I would, I would, just, go have, I would just have to go out and look for other people who could benefit from that content again, which I did well, yeah, in the beginning. And you've already honed the skill set, so you just grow your audience again. People yeah. s- seem to think they can go zero to 100,000 or, or whatever it may be ridiculously quickly. It's not that simple. You've got to actually put in the work and hone your skills. Yeah. Hey, so let's get on to software. This is, as far as I'm concerned, the yeah. best way to make money. Um, I, I don't think you need... You, nah, let's be clear here. Don't go into software if you just want to make money. Trust me, it gets fucking <laughs> hard and money alone will not do it. You have to have passion behind what you're doing. You have to be excited. You have to be nerds like us where we, we have a legal breakthrough and we're, we're singing and dancing about it. Uh, you have to be very passionate about things. Um, and it's a lot of work. It's not that oh, we yeah. sit around on our private yachts and sip champagne um, all day and just watch the money roll in. Well, you'd stand at <laughs> we, your standing desk when you put Yeah, exactly. We, do, we work full days and then make money from working full days on our software. <laughs> there's a big, and there's a big difference here. And again, this isn't for everyone. I'm not talking like this is for everyone. I'm talking about personally what I'm interested in. And I was always intrigued by the whole hourly rate versus so it was for me it was hourly rate moves on to this value-based pricing thing we've spoken about this before the thing you talk about um and then even fixed price projects and then now we move into this SaaS stage where you're making money and it's not directly correlated to the hours you put in um yeah kind of we're still putting in hours we're putting in hours but we've separated hours and revenue yeah well, exactly that. Look at yeah. version one. I mean, version one, I'm talking when we first um, incorporated Conva, which is the Fathom company. We spent a lot of time. I took a lot of time off of my contracting work and we didn't make any money. We made, you know, a grand a month. Yeah. But then it now, now it increases exponentially as we keep putting work in. So with regards to the SaaS, again, you need to have the skill set. You need to have the passion. You need to be solving a problem. And you really, one of the things that we talk about every single day is you have to be providing value. We just released uptime monitoring. That was a huge value add for free as part of your Fathom plan. Huge value add. You need to be thinking about that. Customers aren't just numbers. Customers, and again, this is the whole philosophy behind running a a bootstrap SaaS business. Um, Customers aren't just numbers. They're people whose lives you're trying to improve. That's the thing you've got to get right. And when you start doing that, your company will grow. And I do believe that a software as a service is a great way to make a substantial amount of money and to just bring good to the world yeah that sounds i so mean cheesy but, I, I do, but, it, but you it's see our support true, like it's it's great 
Yeah. And I mean, I think part of running a business is shaping um, what you put out into the world uh, based on what your values and beliefs are. Right? Like, uh, economics is just voting with dollars. So if people are voting with dollars in a way that aligns with um, what you feel is true and right in the world, then it is a net positive thing. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and the, the final one, I mean, we glimpsed over SaaS. The final one is investments. Once you've got the money, you then can put it away. Once you've got so much money, and I'm not at this stage, but once you've got so much money that you can't turn it into more money, or even if you haven't, I mean, it's diversification as well, isn't it? Yeah, I'm trying to gloss over investments a little bit here. I shouldn't be doing that. So I think that building wealth starts with labor and then has to shift to capital. So most of us start out making money by working a job, regardless of the job it is, regardless of if we're separating time and revenue. But then over time, we transition possibly, hopefully, from jobs making us money to money making us money. Right, like sure. t- that's that that's what retirement is. That is retirement, yeah. <laughs> that's what retirement is supposed to be. I mean, it doesn't always work out that way, but I think money is better at making money than labor. Like, ask any billionaire; every single billionaire in the world makes money off of money, not labor. It, mm-hmm. In like, if if you look at the piles, if you look at how much they make off of wealth that they have versus how much they make off of labor, it all comes from the wealth. But you don't have to be a billionaire to do that. Right, you don't have to be, and I think this is why a lot of people are kind of shy away from investing because they think like, "Oh, you need to be rich to invest." When I started investing, I was fucking no money. Like I had, I was making very little money. I was paying rent for the first time, and I was investing tiny. I was investing like fifty dollars a month, and that was a ton (laughs) of money for me at the time. Right, but I think that I guess the final progression in this in this step. In the in these steps that we're building, is that you generate you generate wealth off of wealth, and it doesn't happen in the beginning. But just like interest compounding, it happens once you do it over a, a fairly substantial amount of time. It's like a SaaS. A SaaS does do that. With a SaaS, you're building a business yeah. and you're adding to it, and it compounds. When you're charging hourly, that doesn't always happen. I mean, especially if your rate stays the same. There's no compounding with regards to how much it's making you. Yeah. And I mean, the more you make, the more you can invest, at least financial nerds like myself, the more you make, the more you can invest. I think sometimes people, the more they make, the more they spend. For me, it's the more I make, the more I can invest. My expenditure rarely changes and I still spend as much as I was making when I was making substantially less than I make now. But the more money I make now, the more I invest. Because I know that that money is going to give me a, a rate of return in the future. Yeah, that makes good sense. Hey, so to wrap this up, I... Where's my think, million dollars? Where's my million dollars, yes. <laughs> where's my Let's million go to this dollars? Link. I honestly think that this, what we're talking about, these things, obviously there are other things, but ge- generally we're talking about assets you've created producing wealth. Um, this is along the sweet spot. Uh, you know, having your own business, that kind of thing. When you get to the billionaires, okay, and, and you know, say for example, uh, Jeff Bezos, right? He's got Amazon. Uh, you just uh, you're so at risk of having some employment issues, that kind of thing, and, and just not treating people well. I, that doesn't appeal to me. So, I, like, you know, everyone wants lots of money um, and and all that jazz, but I don't think I could sleep at night 
Uh, like if I was him or do, do they just get to the point where they go oh you know our business is so big there are going to be people that aren't treated well like, it just doesn't feel good you know compared to making say say you made 10 million dollars a year which is a huge amount of money yeah but you had it so that you knew all of your staff and again it comes back to almost like the company of one stuff you knew all your staff you knew their families perhaps and they were all everyone's making good money and everyone's happy versus you're super mega rich you've got this huge corporation you don't know what's going on in certain areas and some people are deeply unhappy, couldn't even get the time of day with you. Why would you want that? Yeah, I mean, I want to make them, I want to generate the most amount of wealth for the least amount of responsibility. Without I'm happy to put complete unhappiness, you know? Yeah, I'm happy to put in the work for myself, but I don't want to manage complex systems, right? Like the whole point of Fathom, the whole ethos for how we run our business is to run it as simply and as minimally as possible because we want to focus on what we like making cool shit for customers who who are paying attention and if our if our focus shifted from that to like appeasing a board or managing an hr person who's hiring a whole bunch of like that takes our that takes our eye off the ball as far as the things that you and i personally like to do it doesn't mean that those other things are wrong they're just not for us and I think in thinking about how we generate wealth or how we make a million dollars, hashtag viral content, <laughs> um, you have to think about like what's going to make you, what's going to make you the happiest like day to day. Like it, it doesn't make sense to make as much money as you can and be super fucking unhappy, right? Like I would rather make less money and be happier than make more money and be unhappy. Like, which, um, yeah, which brings us to the last word that is going to come from me today, which is SAS, which stands for skills, audience via free content, autonomy and sales. In that order, if you've got no skills, get some skills. If you've got skills, start putting out your knowledge and build an audience. If you've got an audience, start thinking about how you want your life to look and then start moving towards the sales. So any any person who's listening to this and goes, I want to make a million dollars. I want to make six figures. I want to make this, that, and the other. If you've listened again, you've got no skills, get some skills. Oh, I can't do it. I've got no time. Make some time. Forget the excuses. If you've got excuses, then that's fine. It, shit happens. But if you're able to stop making excuses, and trust me, I've got plenty of excuses. I'm not, I should be in the gym right now. <laughs> Learn some skills. Once you've got those skills and they're at an adequate level, even if you're learning them, you could arguably share it. Heck, share your journey as you're learning it. Great idea. <laughs> commented on my own idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, being skills. in, sorry, just to interrupt, being an expert, because we talked about this, I'll put a caveat there. Being an expert doesn't mean you know everything about a subject. It just means that oh, you know sure. more than other people about a subject. Oh, and then to come back to something I always love that Taylor Oldwell said, start being aware of your pain tolerance there are a lot of people so analytics for example some people would literally spend four hours setting up their own analytics handle the updates and have to manage their own server that's just and some people think oh why would i do an analytics company people will do that think about the different pain tolerances that exist i would never spend four hours installing my analytics what a waste of time yeah Um, (laughs) and various other things and same with century i'd pay for that so be very aware of your pain tolerance because once you start thinking about other people and how they feel and what problems they want solved, you'll start succeeding as well. Skills, audience, autonomy and sales. <laughs>